0: Welcome you again to the second week that we have together in in Advent, and um, Advent is this time of expectation. It's a time when we look back, when we look forward. It literally means the coming or the arrival, and um, in this time, we look back at the arrival of Jesus. We look back on that the incarnation, the moment that the Word became flesh, as Scripture says. We look back. Um, we also, this, in this moment, we look ahead to the arrival of Jesus when he comes again as king. Um, this, in this Advent, like I mentioned before with the candles, each week we are going to be able to look at one of these different aspects of the Advent season. Uh, Last week we started with hope, the arrival of hope, and, uh, if you missed, I, I encourage you to take a listen back to that as, as MD kind of helped us to see the difference between real hope and counterfeit hope, and, and it, the hope that we place in ourselves and the hope that is in Christ, the, the, the hope that fades in trials and the hope that stands firm, the eternal hope of of Jesus. And and last week, ND gave us this simple and and powerful reminder in Scripture as he pointed us to Romans 12.12. And he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. This week, we get to look at week two of Advent. We get to look at peace. And we get to talk about the arrival of peace. As I say peace, I have a question for us that I want to start us off. What comes to your mind? What comes to your mind when I say peace? When I say a peace that surpasses all understanding. When I say that, remember Jesus says, hey, um, I, I, I come to bring Peace to you, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace that we were talking about. When the Bible talks about peace, I got to ask you, what comes to your mind when I say peace? I'm guessing that if I took a poll in the room, there would be two kinds of people. There would be some of you who the first thing that comes to your mind when I say peace is the idea of peace. I'll call it world peace. Out there, peace, um, peace with your neighbor. That uh, maybe no more war, no more conflict, no more trials, no more division, no more, no more us versus them. Peace. Maybe for some of you, that's exactly what came to your mind. World peace. And as you long for peace, that's what you're thinking about. I don't think it's, you have to look very hard to, to, in our culture, in our time today, to look around and say, we need peace. For some of you, this is what you think of. You think of harmony, brother to brother, nation to nation, neighbor to neighbor, peace among men. Some of you, that's what your mind goes to when I say peace. Others of you, though, you might have had a different idea that came to your mind when I said peace. For some of you, it's not so much the idea of world peace that popped into your head. But for you, you thought of this personal what I'll call inner peace. You, you thought of inner peace, to be at peace, to have peace. You think of peace in here. You think of rest instead of anxiety. You think of tranquility instead of fear and unrest. It's to have peace in yourself, a peace that surpasses all understanding For you, you didn't think as much at first about the peace out there. You thought first about the peace in here, inner peace. Which one were you thinking about? Inner peace, world peace. By the way, there is absolutely no right answer. I'm not looking for an answer. Um, As we arrive and we settle into this second week of Advent and we're talking about peace, I think it's important for me to ask that question though. So that we can be on the same page as to what we're talking about when I say peace. When, I, when we talk about peace. Because ultimately, Jesus Christ came to bring peace. And when I say that, I mean both inner and outer. Both personal and world peace. Both ideas are are here, both ideas are presented to us in scripture and and Jesus brings peace in both arenas and so with that said, with that as our foundation, um, I, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of isaiah isaiah we 're going to be in in chapter twenty six and um, honestly could have gone to so many places, and I just decided to stay. We're going to be in one scripture, all, I mean one verse all morning, and um, I believe God has something here for us. While you're getting there, I want to introduce you to kind of a, a, um, a theological concept that's in scripture that's really important. Um, it's going to sound like a, a contradiction as I say this, but I, I propose to you that what I'm about to share is actually going to be really pivotal for us to understand Advent at all. Um, there, there, there's no fancy name for this concept either. It wasn't until the 50s that they came around and gave it this crazy name. It's called the already but not yet principle in Scripture, I don't know if you've heard about this, but this already but not yet. Already but not yet. There are so many examples that I could give to you right now of an already not yet principle um, in Scripture. It's a really important theological idea. Already not yet. Let's think about, let me give you an example, the kingdom of God. The New Testament talks about the kingdom of God being here And coming. (laughs) It's already, and it's not yet. Um, It's already, but it's not yet. Another example of this is we've been walking through Romans as a church. And I don't know if you remember this, but a couple weeks ago, we talked about salvation and sin. And what did we talk about? We talked about the fact that we are saved from sin. We're a saint. Amen? That's true. And at the same time, we understand that we will be saved forever and ever um, through Christ. So we are perfect, and we are being perfected. Sin is defeated, and we are at war. Already? And not yet. (laughs) You're going to see this all throughout Scripture, and it is a jewel. It is a jewel... um, I could give a lot more examples of this, but this is really powerful when we think about Christmas and when we think about Advent because here's the reality. Jesus came. Hope is here. Peace is here. Joy is here. Love is here. That is true. This is ours because Jesus Christ did come. And yet, hope is coming. Peace is coming. Joy and love, they're coming and these will be ours forever and perfectly through Jesus because he is coming. This is an already but not yet. That's what Advent is. It's an already but not yet. Already but not yet. When I think of the gospel, I think of it as good news for today that just gets better later. It's an already but not Yet, and and the reason I bring this up is it's really important for us to wrap our minds around this when we come to this text and we come to the idea of of peace. Whether you are talking or thinking about inner peace or world peace, it is already but not yet. Already but not yet. I, I, I propose to you as we look at this that this is really good news for us today really good news. We, I have a, this text is simple. It is straightforward. Let's walk through it. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Let me read it all together, and then we're going to just pick it apart slowly. Um, Isaiah 26, verse 3 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let's pick it apart. First of all, you keep. You, this is who's doing this. This is God, a reference to God. So God, you, God, you keep who? Him. By the way, this is a co-ed hymn here. All right, when when, when when I say him, it's not just a reference to men here. This is a reference to people, men, women, young, old. It, does, it doesn't have any kind of qualification to it. It's not a uh, whatever ethnicity, culture, American, Mexican, Canadian, African, European, South American, Chinese, Japanese, Russian, Australian, could go on. Um, this is an open and unqualified him here with one exception, with one qualification. We'll get to that in a second. But in our text, we have you, God, keep him, all those, in what? In perfect peace. Um, The word peace here is the Hebrew word shalom. I don't know if I'm allowed to have a favorite word in the Bible. I'm supposed to love them all. This has got to be my favorite. Shalom. It's, it's not, shalom is not shallow. Shalom is not puny. Shalom is not fake peace or puny peace. Shalom is this all-encompassing peace, wholeness, complete wholeness. It's this comprehensive word here. If you were to look this up, by the way, this word shalom in a biblical dictionary, you would find that this entry is about 17 times longer than any other entry it seems. It's just poof. why is that? Because this word is so big. It's so it's so complex. It's this it's this significant word that means inner wholeness, inner peace, but more than that, it's communal wholeness. It's it's peace. Shalom. Wholeness, this peace. And this is what this text says God keeps us in. And it's not just peace. Would you notice what our text says? It's not just shalom. It's not just peace. It is what? It is perfect shalom or perfect peace. Uh, shalom is not one of those words that needs an adjective, but it gets one. Perfect, full shalom. And uh, you want to hear something cool? You might not think this is cool. I might just be a nerd. But um, if you were. Hebrew, and you read Hebrew, you know what this would say if you read this in just Hebrew? Um, It does not say perfect shalom in Hebrew. You're not going to find any adjective like perfect in the Hebrew text. What you're going to find instead is, if you literally read it, is you keep him in shalom, 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 shalom. It's uh, By the way, Isaiah's not stuttering. He didn't, whoops, the, the scribe didn't have like an accident here. What this is is a common tool that the ancient writers would use to communicate something profound. In the New Testament, we see this in truly, truly, right? You see this other places. But here you see this, it's a superlative for all you grammar nerds. Out there, you're not alone. I love you. And but the writer would use this and it would communicate completeness. It, it's not just shalom. It's complete, perfect shalom. It's shalom, shalom. It's not just peace. It's perfect and complete. It's peace, peace. How awesome is that? It might just be me. Um, but this perfect shalom shalom is 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 offered to this open, as I said, an unqualified hymn. With the exception of one qualification, and what is that? Well, Isaiah continues. You, God, keep him, keep all those, in what? In perfect peace, that perfect, full, shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you, whose mind is stayed on you. This, this is kind of crazy when you think about this. Let's unpack this. There's two kind of important elements to this. First is the mind and the second is the staying. So let's look at both of these. So whose mind is stayed on you. So first we have the mind. This has to do with our thoughts. This has to do with the frame of mind, our perspective, our constitution. And in my study of this text, I think the most helpful way to think about this is the word perspective, whose perspective is stayed on you. Um, it's this idea that you keep him in perfect peace, whose perspective is stayed on you. And with the word mind, we could have thought in terms of, you know, just, just your thoughts here, but I don't think that's good enough. And the reason why is, is, how many know that you are not your thoughts, it's a really important thing here. You are not your thoughts. Your thoughts might go from place to place, from time to time, and um, that you don't want to go. And in fact, Scripture, in multiple places, calls us to take those thoughts captive, to bring them into truth, that there are going to be times when, when your thoughts are lying to you, <laughs> And it's up to us to call them through God's word. And and thoughts can be fleeting. If it were up to your thoughts, how many know? You and I, we would be sunk. Just sunk. We would. Um, And the more I studied this text, the more I realized that there's something deeper here than just fleeting thoughts whose mind is fixed on you. It's, it's, It's not talking about those who never have a doubt whose thoughts never lie to them. It's deeper than this. This is about perspective, how we understand things, how we see and perceive things. The reason I make this distinction here is because there's a reality that you and I face. And and there, there will be many times in your walk with Jesus. In fact, church, you might be in one of these times right now where Your mind is set on Christ. Your perspective is grounded in Christ. And at the same time, you are battling with thoughts. You are battling in your mind. You are battling with thoughts that are untrue. You are battling with what Scripture says to to bring them into submission. You're battling. And, And in other words, welcome to the Christian life. Welcome to the Christian life, because until you see Jesus face to face, this is your battle. This text is not just concerned about this moment-to-moment fleeting thought life that, that we have in our lives. This text is calling us to examine our minds and to assess something crucial, and that is this. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? Through it all, who are you trusting? And In fact, let's look at the second element of this, of this. So the first is the mind our perspective. The second is this idea of staying. Isaiah says, whose mind or perspective is stayed on you. This is the idea of steadfastness. This is, um, you know what this communicates here? The best way I can, is this. It's a leaning. It's a putting your weight on. It's a, it's a dependence. When I did this, I had full dependence that I was not going to just bite it on stage, all right, but that this would hold me. It's a dependence. It's a leaning on. It's a resting on. And then it just hit me as I put all these things together here. It's about my perspective in my life. And more than that, it's about my dependence, It's about my leaning and resting on God and and resting on Christ. And so putting it all together here, it's about having a dependent perspective. A dependent perspective on Christ. So as we take this in, Isaiah says, you, God, you keep him. That's all those in what? In perfect shalom, shalom, in perfect and full peace whose mind or perspective is dependent on you. And then Isaiah finishes it out because he what? Because he trusts in you. And this is where God's word just kind of hit me between the eyes here. True peace is not found in self-dependence. Or on, it's not found on depending on ourselves. It's when we are dependent on Christ, when we trust in God, and no longer in ourselves. That is where peace is found. And yet, I, I'm reminded, maybe convicted is a better word. I'm convicted of all the times that I pursue peace in my own power. And only in things that I can control. This hit me between the eyes. um, That I pursue peace when I can depend on myself. When things are right in me, then I'll have peace. When things are right out there, then I'll have peace. And God's word says, no, you are kept in peace. You are kept in perfect shalom when you are dependent on God. The gateway to peace is a dependent perspective, not a proud or self-confident, I've got it all together, I've got to get through this demeanor. It's when we have this dependent perspective that we are able to rest in the complete peace because, as Isaiah says, our trust is in our God. Our trust is in our God. And because that's true, I want you to hear me here. The the single greatest thing that I could do this morning as a preacher is not to give you five practical steps for you to have more peace in your life. I love practical steps. But the single greatest thing that I can do as your pastor this morning is to preach Christ. To preach Christ and to call us to depend on Him, to depend on Jesus. And because that is trust, that is peace, inner and outer, world and personal. Trust equals peace. There's no lasting peace outside of Christ. There's no shalom apart from Jesus because trust is peace. Now, I told you, I'm not against practical. I want to get practical here. Um, I've used this analogy before. It's not even new with me. I just love it, okay? I I don't know who came up with this. I think we all just heard it, and now everyone just steals it, and it's great, okay? But I've used this analogy before, and and I want to bring it up here because on the surface, It seems to conflict with this idea of peace. But my proposal for you is as we think about this example, that it actually gives us a better understanding of peace. Um, and, And the example is this How do you think about your life? Do you think, do you see your life more like a cruise ship or a battleship? Have you heard this analogy? Cruise ship. Or battleship? Um, do you have a cruise ship mentality or do you have a battleship mentality or perspective? So, follow me. If you have a cruise ship mentality, if you're on a cruise ship, let's say, well, you can't go on a cruise these days. When that happens again and you can go on a cruise again, what kind of mentality do you bring to a cruise ship? Well, what do you expect? You expect rest. It's a peacetime ship. You expect soft towels folded in swans. You expect good food all the time whenever you want it. That's what you expect. You pack swimsuits and flip-flops in a good book. You sleep when you want to sleep. You eat when you want to eat. You read under the sun. See, that's your expectation on a cruise ship, and you have every right to expect that on a cruise ship. Every right. That's a cruise ship. Now, let's go to battleship. What do you expect on a battleship? You're not quite expecting soft, fluffy towels folded in swans. You're not exactly expecting wonderful, meals whenever you want it. No, you enter a battleship with a different mindset. It's not a peacetime boat. It's a wartime boat. You have duties. You have responsibility. You think about mission and tasks. That's what you think about on a a battleship. You're there not for your pleasure. You're there for your mission. That's what you think about on a on a battleship. So cruise ship, battleship. The question is, which ship most closely resembles the Christian life? As you think about this. I, I want to I propose to you that the Bible calls us onto the battleship. That we've been given a mission, we've been given a purpose, we are fellow soldiers in Christ, we're not in peacetime yet, we're in wartime, that we are at war with the flesh and with sin, and, and Paul even calls us, right, to put on the full armor of God. You're not rocking armor on a cruise ship. That's battleship language. Church, we're not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship. And, and by the way, side note here, I think we get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we fail to see this. Um, at times, I don't want to be hard on the American church, but I think the American church has really struggled with this. It, it's like I, I envision looking down at this large group of people who are on the upper deck of a battleship in their swimsuits and flip flops holding beach towels and saying, What happened? Where's the pool? Where's the room service, right? Um, Too often I think the church can have that mentality because our expectations are off. See, on a cruise ship, you don't want to talk about mission. You don't want to talk about responsibility when you're on a cruise. You don't want to talk about any of that. You know what you want? You want entertainment and you want leisure, That's what you want on a cruise ship. That's cruise ship language. That's not battleship language. And I I think there's a lot of people who are kind of disenfranchised with this whole Christianity thing because they were promised a cruise and the pastor keeps talking battleship or the Holy Spirit leads us into places in our life that resemble more a battleship than a cruise. Um. This is all expectation, church, having the right expectation. And it, our language, according to Christ, is, a, is the language of mission, and our language is one of purpose. Uh, and so let's pause here, because remember, I said this sounds a little bit like you're preaching peace, and then you're calling us to war. That doesn't make sense. Um, it sounds on the side, you're talking about peace, but you're not describing peace. You're talking about peacetime, but you're calling us to a wartime ship. I'm I'm confused. On the surface, this doesn't sound like it fits. Well, church, it's my great joy, it's my great privilege here to paint. I don't want to paint a picture of a cruise life for you. If someone lied to you and said your life is going to be like a cruise for Jesus, I am sorry. I don't want to paint that picture for you. That is not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to say, hey, we have peace by the pool. It's not what I'm here to do. Instead, I get the privilege and joy of talking about real and lasting shalom on a battleship. Not a phony, not a shallow or fake peace, but full-blown peace, peace on a battleship. That's the peace that Scripture talks about us having today. And how is this possible? I'm really glad you asked. Christ came. He put on flesh, dwelt among us. He came down, baby born in the humblest of circumstances, in a manger of all places, he lived his life without sin. He did what we could not do. He did it. He lived the life we could not live. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was taken. He was mocked. He was crucified. The sinless one was crucified. He, on that cross, took our sin. He breathed his last, taking on himself the wrath of God for your sin, and he died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb for three days. He laid there, but the church, death could not hold him because death had no claim on him. He rose and he conquered death. And, and the enemy was defeated. Death was swallowed up, scripture says, "In victory he won. So peace is here, right? Peace is here. Now we get the cruise ship. Uh, no. This is one of those already but not yet things, church. Because would you notice what Jesus does as he ascends to heaven? He does not leave with instructions on how to have the most fun at leisure. As he ascends, he does not leave us to the cruise ship. Instead, he promises us persecution. Persecution. He promises us trials. He gives us a mission, one that's going to be difficult. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us for that mission. And he gives us the promise that he's not going to leave us, but he's coming back. Christ did not call us to the cruise ship just yet. Christ called us to battle stations. Until he calls us home, or until he returns, we remain on mission. And here's the thing, church. The victory is won. The victory is won. We fight this war against darkness and sin and the flesh, and we fight it from a place of victory. That we don't have to wonder, we don't have to fear, we stand, we fight, we walk in victory. And here's where this idea of peace on the battleship starts to make sense. Isaiah 26.3 again, you God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. That's battleship peace. Trust equals peace. The beauty of Christian peace is that it is not circumstantial. It is peace in and through the storm. It is peace in the battle. It is peace on the battleship. That is Christian peace peace, that we are kept in shalom as we depend and we trust in Christ. And church, this has been a rough week for me, and wouldn't you know that this is the week that the Lord preaches peace to me? I'm reminded peace is not circumstantial, church. This is ultimate peace. This is, let's go back to the beginning. This is that inner and personal peace, tranquility. This is a life that's not uh, dominated by stress, anxiety, worry, doubt, strife, conflict. This is true inner peace. And at the same time, this is peace out there. Because what are we called to be? We're called to be shalom bearers. We're called to be peace bearers. We're called to bring it and to be it. That Christ has we're called to bring Christ into our community in a way that changes our community, in a way that brings peace. This is peace with God through the work of Jesus. This is peace in ourselves through the work of Jesus. And this is peace with others, with our brothers and our sisters through the work of Jesus. This is peace. And I want to be clear one day when you breathe your last, or when Jesus returns one day, you will be able to put on the cruise ship mentality. That day's coming that day is that day is coming when we're able to put down the armor, and we will be in peace forever peace time for for Many of us, we have loved ones who followed Jesus who have passed away, and guess what? It's now peace time for them. It's uh, what I described about the cruise ship mentality. It's that doesn't even do it justice. For many of us. The battleship time, for many of the loved ones that we have said goodbye to in this life, the battleship time is now over. And they've been called home. It's cruise ship time. One day, one day, when you see, when we see Jesus face to face, this will be us as well. But until that day, until that day, you can have true peace right on the deck of the battleship. You are called to true peace right there on the battleship. A peace that doesn't come from you, self-reliance or anything, self-performance, anything you do. No, a peace that doesn't just come from escape, but a peace that comes from Christ depending on Jesus. That, that peace. And as we wrap up, I, I believe that we have three kind of tendencies in us, that war in us when it comes to peace, and I want to call them out. Let's take what's in the dark corner. Let's bring it out. Real quickly, I want to bring these things to light. The first tendency that I see in myself and that I see in us when we think about peace is we have a tendency to believe that peace is found in escaping, In escaping all the situations that we are in, I want you to, I want you to hear me. If God wants to remo- remove you from the situation you are in, He will do it, He will see that it happens. But until then, He offers you peace right where you are, and it will not fail. It will not fail. Peace is trust, not escape. I have found this to be, (laughs) I have found it's often in the moments, by the way, that I most want to escape that that Jesus, that God has taught me more about trust and peace than any other moment. The second tendency is, I believe we have a tendency to believe that peace is found in us, in us getting all of our ducks in a row, getting our life together and under control. If we get that, then we will be, (sighs) peace. Church, until you see Jesus face to face, that's not going to happen. You're never going to get the control you think you are going to get. God is in control and not you. Peace is found in trusting him, not you. That one hurts a little bit, honestly. That one stings a little bit too close to home. The third tendency is that we have a tendency to believe that peace is the ultimate goal in and of itself. I didn't bring my phone up here, but if you look on your phone and you go to whatever app store you have, you're going to notice so many apps right now that are dedicated to and promising peace, tranquility, rest. Um, they are really hot right now. Uh, in, my, in my doctoral work, I've had the chance to, in the privilege, to download, I think, all of them. Um, and just seeing what it is that, that our culture is offering. And um, please don't hear me wrong. Teaching more people to quiet down a little bit, stop being so crazy, that's a good thing. Um, to take a breath here and there, yes, do that. But, but hear me, peace is not there. <laughs> True peace is not there, because peace is not meant to be the aim of our focus. Peace is the byproduct what I mean here is that, think about it like a marriage, so, so I did not get married to Candace because I love love, okay, because I'm pursuing love, and I'm focusing on love, right, no, that would be weird, real weird, um, I got married to Candace because I love Candace. I am pursuing Candace, and my focus is on Candace as my wife. I do not use Candace to get love. I love Candace, and therefore I know love. It's very similar. It's very true. This is the same thing with our relationship between God and peace. When we take God out of it, we can't have peace. Why is that? Because we're called to pursue God, pursue Christ, and in that pursuit and in that trust to know peace, to have peace. We can't separate them. Peace is not found outside of Christ. True peace, true shalom is when we fix our minds on him. This Advent season, we are drawn to peace because Christ came and because Christ is coming again. And here is the reality, here is our reality. Between that time of him coming and him coming again, between him coming as a baby, his, in, his incarnation, and between him returning, between that time, we are called to trust in him. And as Isaiah says, we are called to be kept in true and everlasting peace. We are called to Isaiah 26, free. I'd love to just close our time by reading this over us one more time. Church, would you stand with me as I read this and as we respond? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let's respond this morning.